Hi, this is Florian uh, with 99 Startups, and I have today a new podcast guest. Would you be so kind to introduce yourself? Sure, happy to be here. Thanks, Florian. My name is um, Jakob Freund, Jacob, um, shortly, and um, I'm one of the two founders, also the CEO of a company called Camunda. Yeah, um, and this is like one or probably the main reason why you're here. Um, probably it would be the best if you... Um, explain first what is Camunda? What does Camunda do? Yeah, sure. So Camunda is a software company, and the software that we um, that we manufacture and and sell is all about process orchestration. Now, process orchestration is a term that needs to be explained. Um, let's just imagine that you're um, a company, let it be a bank, an insurance, a telco provider, any sort of company. You have your recurring business, your recurring operations. Those are business processes, and typically those processes are executed across people and systems, um, and sometimes even physical devices. So it means that you'll need to uh, basically make sure that everyone who plays a part in that process, let it be a human being or let it be a software system or a device, um, does their part when it's their turn. So if you, for example, imagine a, let's say, damage claim settlement process in an insurance company. So uh, somebody hands in um, a bill, an invoice, they uh, want to get the money back because their car, for example, was broken and need to be repaired. Um, that claim settlement process then needs to run via people that check it, also needs to run via systems where your data is stored um, or where, for example, the payment is then triggered. So our job, um, our product, is to make sure that this business process is executed reliably end-to-end even at scale. So even if you have like lots of transactions coming in, in a short amount of time, and that's what um, is called process orchestration. And that's what Camunda is all about. Yeah. And um, for people which are not so deep into the whole business uh, process on the process field, everything in the inner company is a process. Like if we, Basically, we, if, yes. if we go more in general, everything in your life is a process. So if you wake up in the morning and like you do coffee or you don't do coffee and then you shower or you don't shower, it's, it can be described as a process. But in general, in a company, company field, it, it makes a lot of sense to try to describe your processes, what you do, because it helps you to be more effective. It helps you to be more reliable. It helps you to, to keep quality and so on. And also, I think a lot of people had heard from it kind of in a way of a low code uh, so would you be able to to give a definition of low code and say how does or if this plays in into the field of Camunda? yes sure so i mean yeah, at the end of the day you're right of course that any process in a company or um, any anything that happens in a, in a company's sort of a process the point now is that uh, you apply our kind of software especially when you want to automate um, things that happen in your company. So maybe not so much your, let's say, annual, very creative brainstorming session on the next year's strategy. You wouldn't necessarily automate that. But for example, as I just said, the claim settlement or a bank account opening, anything that um, happens well daily or weekly or at least monthly um, and always happens in a certain similar fashion, at least. So there's a certain degree of structure um, and you want to automate the heck out of your business because that's good for your profits, basically. Uh, simple as that. So um, that's where Camunda comes in. And when it comes to how do you automate, um, I mean, it's running in IT. So by definition, it is software development. Um, the point now, of course, is that nowadays, um, software development comes in many shapes and forms. So there's the, let's say, more traditional Pro code um, development, where you're actually, you know, hacking stuff in Java or C sharp or whatever language you prefer. 
Um, but uh, with the idea of low code, we also see more and more software development happening in a way where you take shortcuts and where you don't need to necessarily learn a specific programming language, but you have a certain point and click environment. Um, and then you basically put something together in a visual fashion, hit the play button and the stuff runs somehow. Um, now to map that to, to Camunda, um, what sort of product then is Camunda? Um, well, in today's world, it's not a binary thing anymore. You're not either low code or you aren't. So low code is a relatively, um, universal concept that you will find in, again, in many different, um, types of products. For example, yeah. in Camunda. Um, there are parts of it that are certainly low code. Like, for example, you drag and drop, you design visually a flowchart diagram. That's your yep. business process. Yep. You hit the button and Camunda orchestrates. But then you also need to integrate that with, for example, your existing backend systems. And that can be a pretty high code, pro code kind of play. If you have, for example, very individual, um, I don't know, core banking systems. So it's a, it's a combination of, um, of low code and pro code, um, that you will find, for example, in Camunda. Yeah, and like the, one of the biggest advantages of this whole low-code thing is that like you are able to bring non-technical or not so technical people into the into the boat because um, they can't program, but they have as like the biggest saying how, what it should do because they know they know it like from the um, from the um, yeah from the theoretical or um, practical standpoint and. Um, as 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 bigger you get them into the process and as more they have the feeling they can control can say something and so on as more successful you will be um there's nothing more more dangerous to uh, say okay i want that and then you put the, you bring the developers into the chamber for three years and then they come out and show you something it's probably not uh, what what you wanted and it's it's not only mean that like it's it's just yeah, communication-wise, different, difficult, and sometimes you don't even know yourself what you, what you need. Sometimes, oh yeah, sure. That's, I mean, that's that's why yeah. agile came about, right? Agile yeah, and working in iterations yeah. and bringing stakeholders together. But okay. you're right, of course, that that low code. I would say low code is um, another tool in that toolbox that you can apply in order to, for example, speed up the development process or make sure that um, business stakeholders' needs are understood better. Um, and and by the way, it's not just for non-technical people. So also developers can benefit from the shortcuts that low-code can provide. So there are a lot of good things about low-code. There are some bad things, but there's certainly a lot of good things um, that make it worth um, um, reflecting on. To, to make it round, because it just said it, what are the bad things? Well, it's a bit like, um, I would say it as, as often, it depends on how you apply it. But for example, um, what we have seen in the past, low-code is not new, by the way. The term is relatively new, but the idea um, is at least 20 years old. 20 years ago, it was called model-driven development. Okay. So mm -hmm. um, so the whole idea of, okay, there are some shortcuts I don't need to program by hand, so to speak. And um, that's not new. So the experiences that, that were made in these past 20 years was um, that if, like, it, it's as always, if, all you have is a hammer. Every problem looks like a nail. And yeah. the same is um, uh, the case here. So if you, for example, use a low-code application development platform that only assumes you want to create your, your application in a low-code fashion, you are stuck with um, a limited set of tools again. Uh, it's like a walled garden, you know, where you can only 
um, implement um, your application the way that the vendor actually allows you to do. Yeah. Um, and that very often brings you to certain limits, especially um, when you look at core business processes. So when you look at the the simpler ones, the support ones, my absence request, holiday request, yeah. um, that simple stuff, Locode can, like, you know, it's not very unique for your app, for your organization. So Locode probably, you know, foresees what you, what you want to do with that. But when it comes to, again, your core business, um, it typically means a degree of, of customization, custom tailored um, implementation that um, you cannot achieve by low code alone. So when all you have um, at your disposal is low code, you will um, hit a ceiling um, and it will become also ironically very complicated for the people that are supposed to implement your application because suddenly um, you need to, well, implement a, a relatively bespoke complex requirement with a limited set of tools. And that can basically bring you to a certain degree of nightmare. And then you try to bring the actual developers in, but they don't speak the local vendor's language necessarily. So a lot of things can go wrong when you go down the local path. Yeah, because uh, as as always, you are like kind of settled in a, in a technology capabilities and then you need to work your way out of it. And every technology has, to, has their limits. There's there's no yeah. a solution which has all the good points and no bad points. No, like always, everything has two sides of a metal, and then then you need how you said you need to know what what are the limits of 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 your downsides and then play with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. So um, you founded Kamunda. What what was the journey that brings you to that to to found your own company, which is like nowadays quite successful. Yeah, the, the story is this, like in my in my personal case, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, so that was fascinating, even when I was like a teenager to me. Um, and I was always fascinated by software and software products. Um, so I started business IT, um, but I didn't really have an idea um, and I didn't dare initially to start my own company. Um, so my mid-20s, after finishing my studies, I first worked at um, another company as an employee um, gained some experience over there, then um, a second company. Um, and I already um, came in touch with the discipline called business process management. So I, yeah. I learned about that during my studies, found that interesting. I created a little website um, as a like sort of a side hustle. So outside of my usual 40-hour week job, I created that website um, where people could publish content about BPM. Uh, uh, okay. Mostly mm -hmm. consultants, you know, consultants yeah. wanted to get some 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 marketing for free, so they published yeah. the content there. Um, I was able to attract some traffic, so at some point, you know, it became a positive spiral. Yeah, um, and then that website had a certain audience, like an online community. That was in two thousand seven, so yeah. <laughs> quite 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 a while ago. And during that time, I met my co-founder Bernd Rücker, and Bernd already had his own business, mostly as a freelancer, as a software developer also related to BPM. So he and I sat down in 2007 and um, I was about to quit my job to now finally, you know, um, and make the move um, and set up a consulting business. Um, and Bernd um, was excited about that. Um, and we, we thought, hey, maybe we can just do something together. And that's how we thought up the company. But it was not intended initially to be a tech startup. It was not intended to be a software company initially, just a consulting business, just our own okay. business, basically. Okay. And um, so, I mean, now fast forward, um, the first five years from 2008, when we started the company to 2013, we only did consulting. Um, and during that consulting time, uh, focused on business process management, 
we came to know a lot of software products and we figured that the existing products didn't really meet the market needs. So we saw downsides, problems, hassles, customers hated them quite often. Um, and we thought, hey, couldn't there be a better way to do process? Well, process automation in general and process orchestration, a term I just explained in particular. And yeah. that's when we um, started our own software product. We launched it as an open source project in 2013 with a commercial component right away. We were still bootstrapped. We didn't have any outside funding. So we needed to like make sure we had more income, more revenue than costs. Um, so we had also that commercial version of the open source project right from the start. And um, back then in 2013, our consulting business, I think we were about 10 people, 12 people, 15 people, something like that. Um, and we then grew the business from 2013 to 2018, like the next five years, and to around 100 people, around 10 million euro um, recurring revenue, then mostly driven by the product business, still bootstrapped. Um, and then at 2018, we finally made the move to um, take outside funding and raise the Series A. So that's why the, the you, why you did it then? Like, uh, if it worked bootstrap until then, why you said, okay, now, now it's probably a good time to get finances on? I would say that, yeah, um, well, a few things, maybe, maybe just one thing. Um, I, I don't know which was the, the, the let's say the primary reason. Um, but one was my personal experience, um, in Silicon Valley. So in 2014, I spent three months, um, in San Francisco with my family. Um, it was um, like funded, if you will, by uh, the German Accelerator program yeah. yep. that helps German startups in the US, and uh, basically like experienced um, and, and embraced, if you will, um, the the spirit of Silicon Valley. And suddenly, I got to understand a new angle of you know creating something big and meaningful, and the and the excitement, the thrill. Basically, I found that quite inspiring. Yeah. That was one reason. And the other reason was then that we also saw the opportunity. So we saw the product um, is getting a lot of positive um, reactions in the market. We've won customers, not just in the German-speaking area where we came from, but also in the US and the um, geographies. And we thought, okay, we can actually um, like shift gears and accelerate more, but that will also come with higher risks. Um, it might mean that we need funding in between. That was the second reason. And the yeah. third was that um, also coming out of the experience in Silicon Valley, we understood suddenly that we really didn't know a lot about how to build a globally relevant software company. We just didn't know it. Yeah. And we were, we were, um, optimistic that an investor could actually help us with their expertise and bring us in touch with others, um, and their expertise in order to help us understand how to build such a company. Did, did you got that? What do you, what do you hope for? Yes. I would okay. say so. Yes. Cool. So, um, was certainly, I would say, in hindsight, 2018, that's like almost for like was, was late 2018, so almost four years ago. Honestly, like back then, pardon my French, but I didn't know shit <laughs> compared to today. I just didn't know anything. And I know understand that it was like it was really like a like a catalyst. Um so I would say, yes, uh, we certainly learned a lot in a very short amount of time. It was was very effective. Cool. So you got like a good good investor in, which did it before in, an, in a, like in a similar field and then just coached, kind of coached you and said, okay, 
Yeah, it's... yeah, you need to like you need to be aware that of course nobody has really done what you're about to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. So they they it's not that they have the playbook for you and you just you know implement their recipe and then and that that sometimes some investors think that way and that's dangerous. So I would yeah. certainly um, advise against that. Um, but the investors that we got in. Um, first Highland Europe in 2018, then later Inside Partners in 2021, our yeah. Series B. Um, they always say, hey, you you know best. You run your business. Um, you're accountable at the end of the day. You're also empowered to make your decisions. We are here to provide advice. We're also here to point to weaknesses that we see that you might not yet see. So we can become a challenging, um, sparing partner. But at the end of the day, you're in the driver's seat. Um, and it means like, you know, one investor might say like this, another might say like that. So in that sense, there's no clear thing. Oh, just implement their recipe. But they all bring profound experience and they all bring also pretty profound, well, not all of them, but the ones that we work with certainly bring um, a profound brain power too. Okay, cool. Like one of the things I really always admired about Kamunda is like you're really technical first like you're really technical strong um you don't go come over the marketing side say hey we have good looking whatever and that's the reason why we're good no you know <laughs> you know what you're doing there and like you come like this is something i'm i'm kind of worried right now on this whole startup field so like hey let's make some good flyers and just copy something and then Try to make like get as as fast funding in as possible, and then that's the reason why I I like more admire more the bootstrap way. You know, get something there, get it running, and then not is the first thing you think about like how do I get money to grow? No, how to can make it stable and then get something like grow organically, and um um so what do what do you think where the like do you think this is also the better way to do it or would you rather get money earlier in like because you did it the bootstrap way and then you you got later the money in well what what's your take on the on this on yeah. this side i think first of all it's not it's not binary it's not either or it's not that you know you either take outside funding and then you're suddenly on that if you will crazy hyper growth track um, or you're bootstrapped um, and you're like completely on that, I don't know, slow but steady growth track. Um, like, for example, in our case now, so we have outside funding, not 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 little, I would say. Um, so we took in total a uh, thing on first 25, then 80, like more than 100 million um, outside funding um, euro. However, at the same time, in our case, we're growing rapidly, I would say. Um, so certainly north of 40%, which is considered rapid growth. But I wouldn't say that we're necessarily growing like hyper growth fashion. Yeah, yeah. We're also not burning like crazy. So um, we're burning a bit of money, but honestly, a tiny, tiny fraction of what we what we talk about, we still have in the bank. Yeah. Um, so like there's that's why i say it's not binary you know it's more yeah. like a scale and um you can you can move on that scale you know to the left if you will uh, organic growth to the right you know if you will very very an unorganic growth um that's the first thing i believe that um is good to be aware as a founder it's not either or yeah um and the other thing is yeah, it depends really. It depends what you want. You know, it depends on what you want to get out of this, this adventure, this journey. Like, for example, when Bant and I started the business in 28, 
we like the, the fact that we started in Berlin was just because I happened to live there, it was not because of any tech startup hub ideas. That just yeah. happened later. So when we started, we just wanted to run our own business. That was all that we were interested in. Like I didn't want to report to manager anymore. And we had ideas and hey, let's just try out those ideas and go with the flow, basically. So um bootstrapped organic um uh, way to go but things was just perfect for that for our own sentiment um, our own preference then later in in, in 2018 uh, we had that mindset shift you know we had developed a certain appetite it was a bit like hey we can really turn this into something a lot bigger more meaningful maybe more exciting yes of course it can also mean like higher rewards on the let's say um monetary side and um, for us founders um but it was mostly about the the adventure you know let's go yeah. by that let, let's take that adventure now um, and that motivated us to take outside funding so it depends i believe on what u.s founder prioritize yeah do you think you can explain where this entrepreneurship sense comes from like you said this also on the on the beginning that like you wanted to make your own thing can you explain where this this come comes yeah i don't um i mean i'm not the the expert i'm not a psychologist or anything no right? let's say uh, this for you for yourself yeah yeah, yeah 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 my own my own story is almost cheesy honestly so there's this anecdote and it almost sounds like you know as if i made it up but it's true so in my case um like i'm 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 born 79 um, so in the mid '80s, uh, my friends they all had Nintendos and and things, and I wanted to play games. Uh, my parents wouldn't buy me any, but my dad um, had a computer, a PC XT, like that was in '87 or '88. And um, I said, "Hey, Dad, can I play games on your computer?" And he said, "No, I don't have any games, but I can teach you how to program." <laughs> and I was like, mm. and "I was I was fascinated by the computer, to be honest. Like that's maybe the first thing here. Um, I, I, like I just found it super interesting, and then my dad." taught me um turbo pascal like a language back in the days and um then he taught me how to program um a, a calculator that would calculate interest rates like why <laughs> best game like, ever <laughs> yeah i was like nine years old and my dad would teach me <laughs> that kind of stuff and and it was because he happened to be a teacher for accounting so that was like just his domain so that wasn't very I, I still found it fascinating to program like that was like wow like i command this thing suddenly but i didn't find the um, like the, the program itself very interesting but i then um, read the manual and i figured that Topascal could also manipulate strings <laughs> and then i found a tutorial about a hangman game so i coded like then i was able to code my own game which was like a hangman game um i had my hangman game i found it actually funny i played it myself but the next thing i did was that i saved it to the skets and um, printed labels that said um, hangman five deutschmark and then i tried <laughs> to sell that game um, and my family, my friends, nobody would buy it. Like it was a complete <laughs> failure. Um, but that thing, basically, like, you know, um, this combination of creating a program and trying to get something in return for it didn't even have to be money. So like later in the, in the nineties, there was shareware, like was a thing. So yeah. you would, um, create shareware that was like delivered, like in magazines to people. And, um, if they wanted to unlock like the extra features, they, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they had to buy, but. Um, they just had to sometimes just had to send you a postcard. That's what I did yeah. initially. Just getting this reaction from people, I want this thing, you know, was a big, big reward for me. Yeah. Um, and money was, let's say, the most substantial, most honest reward. Um, I yeah. didn't, I didn't want to spend the money. I just wanted to get it, like a score, you know, in a game. And um, I think this combined, combined with um, 
yeah, a certain restlessness, having ideas, you know, wanting to try stuff out. And then also I have to say the sense of um, of independence, you know, uh, like not having a manager that you have to report to, um, just just being your own master or whatever, um, which I believe many people can relate to. So um, this combination basically drove me to start my own company. Yeah, there's out of my perspective, there's a lot of things in in what you said there, like a lot of truth. Um, one of the things is if you do anything, you don't want like customers, you want fans. And you you know you have fans if you get really reactions, like honest reactions. And you are also right, money is one of the honest reactions you can get. But hey, getting today someone to send you a postcard is also like a quite uh, probably still in this time as well, uh, honest reaction, which like shows sure, you okay, it's that's probably more a commitment and that's more, yeah. more probably more a fan than a customer. And also it's also quite interesting because I can absolutely relate to your story because I also was not able to get a Game Boy or whatever. Like later, later, yes, but like in a long time I didn't have anything to play games, but a computer. <laughs> and then my dad said, Hey, you can program something. And yeah, we program we programmed math tests. Um which mm. is <laughs> Exciting, a yeah. bit better <laughs> but yeah um quite quite similar so i'm not sure if you can um get out of that advice for parents but maybe it's something to to think about um that's like it's hard it's really like i, I tend to think about that but to be very honest i believe i was also just lucky you know so yeah. i was fascinated by computers and computers happen to be and still happen to be the thing in our society like the transformation that's happening right now it's very much um a lot about computers so if you happen to find computers interesting you're in a good spot um if you happen to find i don't know um painting pictures interesting um you're in a much more difficult spot so um i think there's some advice for parents when it comes to um you know helping kids to discover their interests their talents but I think it's also fair to just be a bit realistic. Like market dynamics, it's a bit like a bit like surfing, you know, the waves come in or they don't. Um, yes, it's great to like, you know, be able to surf. It's great to have your, your board um, and be in position. Um, but you also, of course, to some degree, just depend on the waves coming in. And um, that's not always the case for the things that your kids are most interested in. Yeah, um, it's I'm also like I'm most. I'm more scared of um, of this whole easy to consume things. Like, hey, sell like if you have a like a Game Boy was the start of it, but like if you have a cell phone or something with games on it, like like it's it's made for 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 like in in quotes for monkeys if you want to say it like that. Um, and this this scares me because one of the things which which made the computers interesting, you could do a lot of things with it, but you need to learn how to do it. Like if you if you can play a game on an iPhone, that doesn't mean you understand how an iPhone works. That's that's nothing valuable if you want to say it like that. And also one of the that if if your kid is interested in painting and like does painting a lot and like to master it, why to worry about? Probably it's mm. it's a bit harder to 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 make money with it and like to survive. But hey, uh, mastery um, is something which is still needed in the future. And and if you're really good in painting, like go for it. Um, that's also what you said, like with the waves, like can work out, can't work out, but find your passion at yeah. the end. Yeah. Um definitely agree agreeing with that. And like I also agree with you, like we are lucky or you are lucky if you you learned how to work with computers good, because this is needed right now. Yeah. Yep. Could, exactly. Could also I think that's 
I think that's some, I think that's sometimes a bit uh, like like muddied waters. You know, we have these entrepreneurs that that are celebrated, um, that people look up to, um, and I think there's a lot to learn from them. They're good things, you know. Um, and I think a lot of, um, for example, when it comes to work culture, you know, a lot of positive developments have happened um, because of that. So I think um, I think there are really good things to learn from from those successful tech entrepreneurs. Um, but then there's also yes, this element of luck. Um, and some people happen to be lucky to be born in, in a privileged situation or just happen to have interests that are in high demand. Um, and of course, then um, this this is another ingredient for success that, um, that we just, of course, should acknowledge as such. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And one of the really interesting things you also said, which probably a lot of people can learn something out of it, is you were quite excited about uh, what you did there and you got more excited. That's also... For all the founders out there, something really looking out for it because it should be your baby and you should mainly be excited about what you accomplish and what you do there because you really want to create something and not like, hey, I saved a new, fu a new funding and um, exit is coming. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it's like, you know, nowadays, I don't know if you know the term, but um, there's this term nowadays, product-led growth. And I think that summarizes nicely um, that that sort of company where um, growth is really driven by the product itself. Um, people want to use it. People therefore want to buy it. Um, and that's, that's really driving your growth more even than your go to market activities like sales and marketing. And exactly. if you're a product person in the sense that you're really excited about your product, you love your product, you love to see people using it. Um, you're not too, you know, you're smart enough to monetize it. Uh, that is a great source of energy to keep going. Um, even when things are difficult. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And also something which I really um, admired about Kamuna is you you put your code from kind of from the beginning, how you said, as open source out there. Um, and um, yeah, it's 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 getting more and more a bit more mainstream if you want it. It's like hard to say because it's like open source means uh, out of my definition is um, you publish your code you use on a public library, normally GitHub or GitLab or something similar, like it's, it's a Git. And then other people can use it, can help you to build on it, can, can, yeah, can work with it. And um, how does, did this decision come for you guys? Like, why did you do it and how does this work out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you, you just gave, by the way, an interesting and to me, absolutely right definition of open source or what makes why open source matters, you know, like you publish your code uh, on, a, on, a, on a platform uh, that people can access your code, they can use it in certain ways um, for free. Um, and they can contribute to that code if they want to in order to help um, basically developing it. What you did not say is that it has to be published under a defined specific license that is recognized <laughs> as open source by um, the Free Software Foundation. That is relevant because the open source movement, as you probably know, um, has seen some changes or some developments, especially in the, I'm only aware of the enterprise software field. So if you think of companies like MongoDB, or Elastic or others like big proponents of open source, they change their licenses um, to licenses that um, could be considered proprietary, so made up, but still allow for the things that you just described. You know, the code is public, people can use it, people can contribute. Um, 
I'm just saying that we can we can circle back to that um, when, when, when so discussing it. To, to go a bit deeper, so that that means um, you restricted the usage of it in a commercial sense, or or what what you try to or like what's what's try to accomplish with the licensing licensing yeah. limiting the use and how you use it of the software and uh, it's mainly done to protect a bit your business interests or how you would describe yeah. What, yeah yeah that's that's a good summary so that's what that's what elastic mongo uh, many others have done and also kamunda has done um now recently a couple of years ago i believe um so the the point is that with the traditional open source licenses as a software vendor you have the problem that um the so-called hyperscalers so the cloud vendors may, mostly amazon web services like to name the one that is really um, most relevant there um, they were able and did um, take your open source project and then hosted it um, on their cloud platform, obviously for money, and competed with your business. So okay. the source of funding for your open source project um, then was suddenly um, suddenly damaged, if you will. So that's why um, these changes have happened where you can still use the software and you can still use it for free. Um, but um, you cannot set up a competing software as a service business um, and with the vendor that created the project um, or maintains it um, in the first place. So that is something that is a more recent development around open source that is worth mentioning. Yeah, definitely. So um, probably for the non-technical people. Um, so and that means like how, how did it work out on the beginning? Like you you put out your code publicly and um um what happened next like how did your kamunda the company kamunda benefit from it yeah on sure. the beginning sure so um traditionally uh organizations are willing to pay um for an open source project um for example if they get support for it so there's someone that they can call when there's a problem um, things like that. That was the very, let's say, the very, very first thing that we offered in order to monetize um, on the success of our open source project. Almost simultaneously, I would say, we also offered additional features, additional capabilities, then even additional tools um, that added value when you are using the open source project, but that you had to pay for. Yeah. So um, that's often called then the enterprise offering or the enterprise edition. And the other one is then the community edition or the open source edition. So um, those are two things, um, services, if you will, plus um, extra features that uh, we offered right from the start and therefore then also monetized with. Yeah. So this was then like part of the part of the business model. But I think one of the really strong things about this whole open source movement is you build up a strong community. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that, but I mean, that's like one of the, like, let's say this Kamuna is like on a technical field. And if, if, um, if uh, IT, like a, a programmer is able to watch the code and play around with it and see it as an active community, this is a, a really important point to go to your company and say, hey, listen, um, this is probably really good because I, I watched the code. I saw there's a community. We can build on it. It's not like, hey, Microsoft pushed us over and we need to back that to change something and uh, and uh, hope that they develop it further. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I'm guessing yeah. from the outside, this is like was 
uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah, yeah, certainly. I would say um, community um, is a very big cornerstone, an important pillar um, for the success of such a product. So when you when you look at it um, from an adoption standpoint, um, developers might check out your product. The fact that the source code is there already builds trust anyway. Now, it doesn't even have to be under an open source license, as I said, right? The, the, the source code is there. Um, and they can they can look at it. They might not even look at it, but the fact that they could <laughs> already builds trust. Then they might even look into it, and that builds, of course, more confidence that um, that you have the right product. Um, in addition to that, there is the basically the element of social proof. It's a bit like the Amazon reviews. Ah, they are all like those other people that use the product as well, and they are vocal about it. You know, they talk at um, conferences, for example, and say, "Hey, we use Camunda to I don't know NASA is using Camunda, for example, to process pictures that are sent back from the Mars rover." Like, what a cool story! So they spoke about that at one of our events to other users. They're using the free version, you know, back in the days, um, open source version. So. Um, that, of course, is incredibly helpful. Um, in addition to that, um, the fact that there's a community, as I just said, also makes you a bit less dependent on the vendor. You know, there, there are others that also contribute, if you will, in that in that marketplace. So yep. as an example, um, support, you can, of course, basically also get support from other um, service providers um, in the market. So things like that um, are also, of course, um, very helpful. So, because you said already, um, like a lot of a lot of companies have to change their licensing model because of yeah of, of protecting their business. Do you think you if you start today with an an limited open source project, like limited uh, open source publishing of your code, you get still a, a kind of the same effect, or is this over? Well, what what what's your... no no no? I I think like. You know, open, I would, I don't know, I'm not an open source. I wouldn't claim that I am an open source expert. Let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah, just, yeah. I'm just pretty close. Um, so I, I think we, but what we saw initially with open source in the 90s was the very much, you know, um, element of, of, of it driven by individuals, Linus Torvaldson yeah. or others. So um, very, well, you could almost say a bit nerdy maybe, but of certainly very specialized people. Um, another like later development that we saw was the commercial success of um, enterprise software companies around open source. The reason for that success, making the source code available, building a community, um, you know, leveraging that that sort of um, dynamics uh, in such an ecosystem, that can very much um, be replicated or just done today also without attaching a license that the free software foundation would claim is open source okay so mm -hmm. you can you know you can have like in our for example in our case the zb community license that's our license that we apply and um, it says hey you can use it for free you can you know um, um do basically everything that you want with it um, um like this this core engine um the only thing you cannot do is um, set up a competing software as a service business um, that that uses our project. Well, that's a tiny part of what people want to do with it. NASA can still use it, you know, for their math rover uh, processing, etc. So, um, I think if 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 I was starting as of today, um, I would do it exactly like that, like right from day one, uh, because it brings all the benefits and it um, at the same time mitigates the risks that we um, have seen now recently. Yeah. 
And also, like, just for the case, some listeners question, like, why do you talk about open source all day? I don't care. Like, to make clear, close to everything we're working right now with, doesn't matter if it's, I don't know, some, your MacBook, or it doesn't matter if it's some shows, like some things in the internet. It's kind of in a, a bigger or smaller um, basis based on open source. Like it, it, it could only grow or technology could only grow because we were able to build on the work of others, which is technical or the end open, uh, open source. And nobody would be able to build the standard we are right now on their own. So everything is kind of built on, on, on small pieces of others. And then like, so just that's the, that's the, the point why we talk so much about open source, because like it's, it's one of the secret, like I would say one of the, one of the reasons why technology, technology, uh, like technology progress can happen so fast, or why we are uh, in the status where we are right now, just yeah, out, of my, to, out of my sense, uh, as a little explanations to the people who are listening, they're like, I don't care about open source, go away with that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree. I would even add one more thing. Um, like we're, we're, we're talking about um, entrepreneurship and how to set up a company and in our case now how to set up a software company, an enterprise software company um, and open source um, or the the um, source available um, distribution model basically is, um, is an effective part of a strategy basically to get your product out to the market and get the feedback for your product that you need in order to make it better. So um, I believe that there are a lot of distribution models out there that resemble open source in many ways. So um, because you never give everything away for free, you give part of what you have to offer away for free and the other part um, you sell. And that you, you'll find that in the, I believe, first or second semester of an MBA studies. Like, you know, you, there's, there's lots of examples out there um, for that sort of distribution model. And nowadays in SaaS, think all the, think Zoom, you know, um, you can use certain part of Zoom for free. If you want to use more, you have to pay for it. Well, it's the same mechanics. And, and you can also change it later. You know, you can tell people by, like, for the example of Zoom, you can say, hey, you can talk for free. And one and one all day long and then suddenly you change it to 45 sure. minutes and then yeah like and we are an open market uh, maybe your product is good enough that people will go on using it or maybe they change to hang out like that's of course something. of course you have all those dynamics and then the people maybe they're annoyed you know so have the band dynamics um, but then you might as you just said maybe your product is so great you know that's just worth it so to speak so um in that sense, um, open source has the aspect that you just said, of course, which is very open source unique, but it also has the aspect of it, it's just about how to set up a successful company that it um, is worth investigating. Yeah. And just, just also as a little protection for the programmers out there, like if you go there and say, hey, you want to be open source, please publish your code. They will be reluctant as hell just because out of the reason it's it's um, like imagine you as a like, let's say as a, as a manager, you are now forced to publish all the, all the documents you had on your computer online. Um, mm -hmm. You would also say, hey, wait, 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 <laughs> it's not ready to publish. There's like a lot of things to fix. And this is also the reason why probably developers will be a bit reluctant on the, on the if you if you offer that and give them also the time um, to, to fix some things and like to make it ready for it. Just uh, remember my example of uh, if someone comes to you and say, Hey, by the way, all the documents uh, you have on your computer, we will publish tomorrow. So mm. 
Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting aspect of transparency. Actually, by the way, um, transparency is something that we at Camunda hold in super high esteem. So we are not yet there that we publish all our documents. And of course, there's sometimes compliance reasons that like wouldn't allow us. So we couldn't even because of NDAs and all of that. But actually, um, um, publish we, we publish a lot of things um, already um, that other companies probably like to hold back on. So um, it's, it's actually, I, I believe in it. Do you have an example for that? Like what you... Yeah, for example, a lot of things around our um, benefits for employees. So okay. um, mm. this is driven by by hiring, but it's not just about, I don't know, like our values obviously um, are published anyway, but then, for example, also details on our um, equity program, you know, the yeah. um, where people can get um, stock options, basically. A lot of details, how that works and all of that are publicly available online. Um, which I believe uh, many other companies, for example, um, wouldn't wouldn't dare publishing. Like that's like a good point because then we are in the area of work culture. Like how you would describe the work culture of Camunda, or what are your? How do you think about uh, modern work culture? If you would call it modern, um, mm. yeah. I would say two distinct questions, but of course there's some overlap, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Um, I would say the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Camunda in particular, but also let's say in general, it's evolving. Like that's the first thing. Like it's never, we're never done. We're never finished. And to be quite honest, we're also so far, we have never been where I want us to be yet. You know, so we're not yet in a way we're not perfect. So um, our work culture at Camunda is evolving, is changing. It's it, it has changed tremendously, I would say, um, during the pandemic because of remote first. Yeah. Um, but before then, um, and hopefully then also after that, um, and it will it will continue to change um, all the time. That's one thing, and it means it's it's important to say that because it also means that you you know you never know where you're already right or where you might be wrong. You might look back a couple of years later and figure, hey, like back then I didn't understand that. But that should not prevent you from um, being committed to executing the way that you um, deem best as of today. So this this whole culture, this idea of well, you could say iterations. We're iterating, constantly iterating, just like in Agile um, and Scrum or whatever, um, is, I believe, a big part of um, of a modern work culture and Camunda's culture. That's the foundation for everything. And then, of course, you have certain, certain. let's say, let's, let's take the most prominent one, remote. So yeah. um, even before COVID, we were already striving towards a um, remote setup. But when COVID hit, um, it was almost an opportunity, if you will, to be really um, explicit about it. So before that, um, we had our headquarters, if you will, in Berlin. We had an office there with 150 people. Um, they loved the office. It was a really nice office. Um, and there was a lot of socializing happening in that office. And then suddenly, all of us um, had to work remotely, work from home. What we said in 2020, in summer 2020, is that we, are, we believe that this is the future anyway, like a remote first setup is the future anyway for maybe not every organization, but for many organizations, certainly for organizations like us. So we then yep. define certain principles, such as, for example, everyone can work remotely as much as they like, um, even if their manager would prefer them to um, like work in the office. So that's like a commitment from the organization. Um, we've built a lot of processes, tools, culture around those principles. And nowadays, I would say um, many companies... Uh, that that struggle to implement um, a true remote first setup could look at Camunda and others um, as a role model. 
Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So yeah, and you you had this culture from the beginning and you try to keep it with growth, I'm I'm guessing, right? Like this whole we we are ready to change whatever it, it needed to be changed to to be to be better. You mean the iteration culture? Yeah. Um I would say <laughs> Ironically, we even iterated on that um, and keep iterating. <laughs> so I would say that, again, probably compared to, let's say, especially more conservative companies, yes. But in hindsight, I would say, no, a few years ago, we were actually way more anxious than today to make mistakes and really you now thought it through and wanted to be sure about it. And only then we would actually execute a certain strategy, change a certain thing. Um, nowadays, um, we are a lot more ready to just get it out of the door. And if it does not work well, well, then we iterate on it um, and change it again. So I would say even, no, I would say that was not there right from the start, from the beginning. Yeah. So it's like a typical thing. Just um, if, you, if you're not sure, just do it. And then if it's a mistake, you know faster that's a mistake. And then you can you can, yes. um, you can can um, change it. And it's way faster than you think it through a long time yeah. and then try to make the right decision yeah. when it's faster to just make one decision and then yeah. just change it afterwards if you realize okay no that was the wrong one yeah exactly i often like to say it's better to make it's it's, it's it sounds weird but it's better to make a bad decision quickly than a great decision like a lot more slowly yeah definitely I completely agree with that. So, um, if we if we look on the, in the future of um, work orchestrating, uh, like a work, workflow orchestrating market for the next ten years, what what is your your guessing? What what we have? To, what we what we will? What we can expect to see? Yeah, we expect. I don't know how you or your audience is familiar how much with with the whole tech market, but there's, for example, a market called robotic process automation (RPA). Yeah, there are certain companies like UiPath, for example, yeah. that are quite prominent. Um, so that was that was, I would say, a hot market in the past five years. Um, we see we see a certain probability. We find it likely that process orchestration will become a market um, as hot as that, on on like to that degree. Um, we just don't know if it's going to happen next year or year after that, uh, but it's inevitable um, that it's happening. So process orchestration, this ability to execute business processes end-to-end -end by um, stitching together like all the people, systems, and devices um, is just absolutely necessary as the next step, so to speak, in order to automate, as I said, the heck out of your business. With RPA, you can automate locally like tasks. With process orchestration, you can all automate holistically across your organization. So um, we expect that to be one of the of the hottest, most relevant markets um, coming up now in the next five to eight years um, going forward. Would you would you see no code, low code as a part of it, or would you see this as an extra topic? No, it's inter. It's it's yeah. It's 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 a part. It's like a it's overlapping, if you will. Low code, no code. Is a big part. It's it's relevant. It's relevant for process orchestration, as is pro code. You know, so in process orchestration, we will always need um, pro code, also low code, and to a much smaller degree, I believe, no code. And outside of process orchestration, just the same. So like for other types of software development, other domains, basically, um, you will also have that element of um, no code, low code, pro code. Yeah, exactly. And at the end, it will be the 
the buzzword, if you call it the buzzword, the end-to-end digitalization. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if we go shortly in the management speak, that's like what it's about. At the end, it's like, hey, you have a seamless integration from the start where everything starts to the finish and uh, there's no weird breaks where you need to copy an Excel from the one to the other, as, as speaking like that. And how you said, it's like completely automated yeah. and it, it goes through. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, w- would you say... How does this whole, the next password, um, cloud thingy, we had it in a second with the Amazon, Amazon web services mm. that like the, like this is the connection there. Uh, how, how, what do you think about this, this market? Uh, do you have an opinion also on that? Like how, how does it go on with like, I would say the cloud market is as hot as, as, as hell, if you say it like that, because everyone wants to do cloud, even if it's sensible or not. Um, mm. what, what's your take on, on that? Yeah, it's quite clear. Yeah. It's uh, to me, it's almost almost too obvious. Funny, right? But um, cloud is again an inevitable um, an inevitable direction for the economy because it is about specialization. It's about you know, I focus on the stuff that I'm best at, and I outsource everything else. So what cloud does, um, you know, providing a certain infrastructure on whatever level of abstraction you're now thinking of, there are natural limits, of course, you know, that depends a bit on your domain. But um, the, 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 the fact that somebody can provide me with stuff that I don't need to worry about in exchange for money, basically, um, and it's proven sufficiently that, you know, it, it works in this case, um, to me, unleashes a, a market dynamic. Um, that inevitably will bring us there. And everything, every, any concern around, you know, security, data protection, uh, GDPR, whatever, um, are just impediments that will be overcome sooner or later by those incredibly powerful market forces. So um, there, there will always be exceptions. There will always be this element of, um, you know, for a certain type of business, it just makes sense um, to own a certain type of infrastructure yourself. Um, but so they will always be there, but they will go from, I don't know, let it be whatever, 70% today to maybe 10% or less yeah. tomorrow is my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. With all the, the downsides to it, like, um, to say this at the end, uh, <laughs> always remember uh, cloud is just the, the comp- like you use computers, computers of others, just uh, cloud sure. are just the computers of others and you use them. So without the, uh, with all the upside and also the downside. Yeah. Sure. Cool. So um, if, if you would meet a young person today and he wants to say, I want to become a founder, what would be your advice to him on like he's about finishing his, his school, if you want to say it like yeah. this? But, but first of all, first of all, I would, <laughs> sorry for being big sassy about that, but first of all, I would assume it's not necessarily a male person. <laughs> it doesn't have to be he, right? It could be me. I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> no I'm worries. sorry if this comes up like uh, we need female, we need female power also in IT. So definitely if it's a, a, a boy or a girl, what, what non, would be, non-male, whatever. Yeah. Non, <laughs> like whatever he wants to be, uh, what would be your advice? Sure. So it's a, um, I, I think it boils down to what we discussed earlier about finding your passion. What are you most passionate about? Um, and with regards to creating a product, like what's the type of product that you really enjoy creating? And my, my mom, actually, <laughs> speaking of family, my mom once and gave me that piece of advice. She said, Hey, Jacob, um, because I was like a young, young man and I didn't know what to do with my future at that, that period as many do. And um, she was like, is there something that you do 
that you enjoy doing so much that you you're creating something that you actually forget about everything else you know like like a couple hours later you were like whoa where did the time go and you have created something during that time and i thought about that and i was actually programming uh, back in the days ironically by the way i've never programmed a line of code in my own company so the product really? is like yeah not not created by myself at all i just have that i just like you know understand it to some degree because of my, okay, cool. my, my colleague background but um like this um this opened my eyes and was like yes like creating software is something that i really enjoy so much um, that I forget everything else. Um, that's sort of my passion, if you will, um, when it comes to creating. That's other passions that are not so much about creating, I guess. And then the other aspect is about um, like getting that product to the market, like bringing it out there, getting it into the hands of people and getting something in return, you know? Um, you need to be interested in that sort of mechanism as well. Um, like the soul, how can I set this up in a way? How can I make it available in a way that I get something in return? And it will most likely be money. Um, I even have some passion for that, actually. I just find that interesting. So that made me a good, um, a good, let's say, one person entrepreneur right from the start. I was then even so fortunate to meet a more technical co-founder, um, Bernd. So um, that was like a like a perfect match, if you will. And um, which means that if you have only one of those two passions, um, like creating something um, or if you will selling something, um, I would advise to find someone else um, yeah. that you can team up with, so that you can complement each other, and then um, then make it uh, do it together. Um, the exactly. last and then yeah. One of the last points there, because uh, most people will say, hey, I don't have found someone. It's not easy. Yes, I agree. It's not easy. And also, uh, remember, if you start a business together, it's like marrying and you wouldn't marry anyone. But if you can't, like, it's like typical, don't let yourself stop from it. Hey, I don't have a programmer. I don't have someone which helps me with marketing, whatever. Then do the best BC fan, like find someone who supports you, Google a bit, and then just do it on a C or D level, but don't let yourself stop from it. Like, no, like how you say, no excuses. <laughs> that, that's normal that you, in your journey, you have always challenges. Like, mm -hmm. that's, that's a complete expect that. If it wouldn't have challenges, everyone would do it. Like, yeah. if it would be that easy, everyone would do it. So, and sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Yeah, make make makes sense. Makes sense. No, no, no worries. Actually, um, so yeah, so so in that sense, um, you either you either have a passion for both things, creating a product and selling a product, um, or if you have a passion only for one of those, um, you at least care enough about the other so that you are a good partner, a good citizen, so to speak, um, for your co-founder. Yeah, um, that would then still need to find. And my my final piece of advice, and I, I'm not yet sure if I am able to sum that up well, but um, I do believe that running your own company comes with a lot of work. Um, it comes with a lot of stress um, and uncertainty. And you need to be ready for that. Uh, like if you don't like that, if you, I don't know, have read the four hours week and now you want to start up your business because of like, oh, I don't have to work that much. I don't know. Maybe it works well. I, I just find it hard to, hard to imagine, at least if you want to create something meaningful. And um, um, and the anxiety, the uncertainty, um you need to be you need to be comfortable with that, um, which also can mean that you have you need to have the life circumstances that allow for it. Um, so yeah. it's a bit about circumstances, a bit about personality. Um, and if if you think if that makes you uncomfortable, that that imagination, um, well, you can still try it out. Um, but of course, 
it's also decent at some point to pull the plug and say, hey, this is not for me. And then yep. just do something else for your life. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And like, be ready to work hard. Otherwise, it will not work out. It doesn't need to be in a crate of Elon Musk, which says, hey, if you work double as the others, you will be double as speed. That This is also something to be aware of because quality is king. And if you just work, uh, I yeah. don't know, 16 hours each day, uh, probably your quality will not be as good as... as yeah, no, I don't. I don't do that. I think yeah. you. I think you feel it at some point when it's becoming too much and when it's not really effective or helpful anymore. Yeah. You need to keep yourself in check here as well. But um, it's totally possible to, you know, have like a, I don't know, fifty hours week or maybe sixty hours occasionally. Like if I think back the first five to ten years, yes, I certainly did work also on weekends, but not as crazily as I don't know in Moscow, whatever. Yeah, and today. And to today's status you are, how do you think about work-life balance? Yeah, we just spoke about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, is it still like that, that you're ready to grind it out? Or like, like, like what, what, is, what is your general take there? What is your, what is your approach? Yeah, I would say, first of all, I struggle with the term. So work-life balance to me, like work-life work balance literally implies that there's life and there's work. Which yeah. means that while you work, you don't live. Like, what yeah. does that? What's that supposed to mean? You're dead. What does or it mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I know, I know the. I understand, of course, the meaning, the idea. But I believe yeah. the term already leads us in a bad direction. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is important that you find a balanced life in general, um, and a balanced life can come in many different shapes and forms for different people. So I believe um, there are setups um, and also individuals that gain so much energy from working um, that they might not need as much of a, you know, recharging your battery um, yeah. um, outage or time um, as, as others. It is a very individual thing. That's the first thing. I think um, finding the right balance in your life is most important. Um, and I also, I also believe, but I'm not sure, but I can just talk about myself here. Um, life happens in stages. So um, you, you you might be in a stage of your life where you enjoy working a lot. And then there might be another stage in your life where you would really not like to work that much. Um, so it might mean that um, it's a journey as an entrepreneur that also comes to an end. And then you might do something else afterwards. Ideally, of course, you can afford to do whatever you like to do. But but even if not, you just do something else. It can happen in, in stages. Um, and that is perfectly fine and perfectly okay. So um, I think at the end of the day, my final piece of advice is that it's super important to um, to enjoy, basically, your your life. Um, so when you're in a, in a, in a, in a mode where you feel, I'm not really enjoying myself, maybe not anymore. It's time to reflect and figure what you can do in order to make your life enjoyable again. That could mean working less, but it could also mean other things. Um, for an entrepreneur, for example, I believe the responsibility that you carry is more stressful than your workload, like carrying that responsibility and people look at you and expect you to deliver that can cause a lot of stress. So maybe at some point it makes sense to share or even offload that responsibility. And you can still be working as many hours as before, but might have a more enjoyable life. So lots of thoughts about that matter. Exactly. And I really good points you said there. Um, I would just add there also, um, it's also sometimes to be smart to maybe check if you can improve your mindset. Um, just, um, for example, power of now for Nekatola just means you don't need to change what you do. You just need to change a bit your mindset and like mm -hmm. 
get a bit more perspective on uh like normally in the lot of things you stress about it's it's of course company people rely on that like you they get a salary and so on uh but this typical saying at the end it's just important that you you and your family are healthy uh at really at the end um that's probably better and say it in the book than what i said right now mm -hmm. but something maybe worth to explore and also something because of the stages you said um out of my perspective i would just say don't postpone a lot of things like normally say hey i want to have kids but it's not the right time hmm. out of my out of my learnings out of my perspective that's both like bullshit let's say this just do it like mm -hmm. um because it will be never the perfect time mm -hmm. like it will and then if then you will rather you will rather look rather look back and say hey that was the perfect time but i missed it because i waited because and so out of that i would just say come on do it just rather do it now than wait mm -hmm. I, I, i'm not sure if you can share that but out of my perspective i would probably add this advice in there but yeah mm -hmm. i think it's like it's it's funny i i haven't thought about that so much yet but of course like i can personally relate i have two kids um my my first kid my daughter was born in 2012 and so i was like four years after we started the company it was even before we made the move to like a hyper or rapid grow, rapidly growing software company so um and i'm very glad that we did it so i do not regret it at all i would say however that um I'm fortunate that my partner um, um, is taking care of the kids a lot more than I do. If that was not the case, um, the only option would have been to either hire someone who would look after the kids um, or to um, be a lot less committed um, in my company. And I'm not sure if I would have been able to conduct my role as CEO um, as effectively um, as I as I was now in hindsight, maybe never you never you never know, right? So the what if game also is a bit uh, futile. But I think it is important. I, I agree with you to not postpone, especially decisions like that. I would agree. I think at the same time, it's also important to understand that you need to prioritize um, and let go. Um, like in my example, we could have hired someone and we would have prioritized that we would like you know would have had the bandwidth, both of us. Um, and to do other things. Um, and we would have let go of the idea that the parents look after the kids themselves. Like that is a, that is a valid option um, that um, maybe um, many are not comfortable with. Um, we also made a different decision, but that's the sort of stuff I believe it's, I think it's fair and honest to think about it that way. Exactly. And also the, because I can add this perspective um, don't be scared of hiring someone because at the end, I'm a big fan of like not playing this role. And hey, but you may, you do now a career, and the other one, what like uh, stays home and take care of the kid. I like because to be honest, also in my podcast, quite often <laughs> this story comes up. Hey, thanks to my partner, that I'm successful. Hmm. And I'm a bit frustrated by that. I'm I'm really frustrated because I mean, like, what the hell? Like, why doesn't need to always be decision? And also, like, just for example, our pair. It's perfect. Like if mm -hmm. you find someone who is reliable, also the kids can with yourself learn the language. So we have a French au pair and I learn French on myself on the side because I don't get more stupid from it. That's good. And um, it doesn't mean you give your kids away and you don't take care of them, but you get a bit more flexible and you just need to be aware that like the important points, for example, bed bringing and uh, like whatever you define as important, you do and you spend this quality time 
with the kid, but mm -hmm. it doesn't it it doesn't hurt that someone else is also there and like share values as long as you make sure that your values are shared. And to make this clear, out of my perspective, you share your values with your being, like how you are, how you you handle yourself. Not like, hey, do it this way. Mm -hmm. We told you to. That's not like how you learn your kids stuff. Like the kids pick it up out of your behavior, and yeah, that, uh, this that's is good, good, good at bad point. So, but like just. To, to open up this thought um to to get a bit out of this whole hey my like one of us does carrier and the other one is uh, mm -hmm. taking care of the kids and also you can change it later like whatever like how you said if you have stages and say hey I want to do less work and like sure change it but like don't if you both work hard the money will come in or will come in to to be able to, to pay that and like uh, like I'm not sure if this is the best example but in history it was normal that like if you have important positions and you had income you had people help in the household and with the kids and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just... no I, would, I wouldn't i wouldn't disagree at all actually so okay. i mean in, in our case it was like the the actual preference of my partner. yeah it's it's like but, it's like uh, if, but if, the if, model if, of course makes a lot of yeah, sense actually exactly and, and like it's, it's not if, an option if one partner says hey uh, i want that like sure go for it. it but like i would like i'm a bit worried that like too often like hey You're the wife, please take care of yeah, the kids of and I do business. Sure. And that's that's sad. Like I'm a it makes me a bit sad. Um my second yeah. last question. Um, what are your favorite books? I would say that um, like work-related now. Um, I would say the the book that really helped me most as an entrepreneur is um Ben Horowitz, um, titled The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yeah. So yeah, I pretty pretty common, I believe. But it's really it's the I think it's almost almost the only book that I really like look into on a regular basis, um, even years after I've read it. So um, I would say that was most helpful. Um, books that I've read more recently, like in the last, let's say, couple of years, the three that were, I would say, again, most outstanding, most helpful were um, the book about Netflix. So No Rules Rules. Yeah. Um, the most recent book, I believe, about Amazon called Working Backwards. Yeah. And um, a book that was written by, um, I forget his name, but the CEO of Snowflake. Um, I think Claude is his name. Um, it out, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he, he was um, CEO of ServiceNow um, and then became CEO of Snowflake. Um, and he also writes basically about he, how he's running his company as a, as a hired CEO. Um, and in all three cases, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's again, a playbook that would just follow blindly and implement like right away. It's really more like, um, well, that's actually, it's interesting inspiration. And most of all, it is practical. You know, it's not like theoretical stuff. Um, it's really from people that have done it themselves um, and they share the experience, it's, which I find most it's, helpful. Is ServiceNow not a competitive Kamuna? Or do I get oh, it wrong? No, no, not, not really, not too much. So it's funny, you could think that when you look at the website. But yeah. um, we, don't, we don't see them as competitors very okay. often. Uh, occasionally, maybe, yeah. Okay, because it would be another point to if if a, if your competitor CEO write a book, read it. Of course, <laughs> you can't get sure. more stupid from it. You will probably <laughs> get uh, learn something out of it. Um, and um, my my last question for you, or my is, um, if you could go back in time and could talk to your twenty year old self, what would you tell him? Um, that's funny, actually, because. And like when I was 20 years old, 
that was the time I had a period of, I don't know, like five, six, seven years where I didn't think about business or computers like at all. I mean, I studied it, but I didn't really, I really enjoyed my life as a student. I lived in Bavaria for two years. It was like, I wouldn't say party all over, but it was certainly a great time. And honestly, I w- I don't regret any of that. So I would, I would only give them the advice, just keep going, yeah. <laughs> enjoy yourself. <laughs> cool. Uh, would it be a different advice to your 30-year-old self? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, when I was 30 years old, um, I already started Camunda. Um, and yeah, so in that sense, I've learned a lot um, as, as a founder CEO. So of course, like my younger self, I don't know, might benefit from it. And I would say so many things. But when it comes to leadership, for example, um, I'm one of the people that like my conflict is not my talent. Like okay. I, I really don't like conflicts, and um, that I believe got in my way, um, especially in the earlier days, earlier years. You know, I always wanted to have like a good atmosphere and always positive, and I was really having um, difficulties rising with my employees. Um, for example, missed expectations, um, making it clear that um, like giving giving them the right guidance basically to be effective. Or if uh, they just weren't able to be effective, remove them from a role um, and yeah. replace them. I struggled with that, as many CEOs do, I believe, um, struggled with that a lot. And I would probably give myself the advice to um, like face that reality. It's like sometimes you hurt people's feelings um, yeah. and you have to yeah. do it in a decent and fair way, um, but don't shy away from it, um, I would say is the advice. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good advice. It's probably something in general, like uh, try to find out what your weaknesses are and then don't run away from them, work with them or find someone which, how, how we said on the beginning, find a mm-hmm. co-partner which complements that and like does, yeah. does it. Yeah, cool. Jacob, it was a pleasure. Yeah, Thank likewise. Uh, and then um, here next time, guys. Yeah, thank bye you. Bye-bye.